Good evening, lady and gentlemen. The lady is optimistic. Uh, welcome back to the recap episode of Flying Sisters of Solo, a division of Slightly Hysterical Sports. I'm your captain, Al Murray speaking. Bad week. Very bad week. Blundered on a few predictions. The Akka may have been sunk pretty early. I am unfortunately tied to having Celtic minus one in Manchester United minus one in every accumulator I do. So... Swing and a miss. You gotta roll with those. I'm not getting off those two bets now because when they do hit, oh, it's gonna be glorious. It's gonna be absolutely gorgeous. So, I would like to do something for the very first time in my life. I'm going to admit I was wrong. And I have been consistently wrong for the last coming up to five years Khabib Nurmagomedov is the greatest MMA fighter of all time as much as it pains me to say that he is I bet against him 155 times he beat everyone everyone they put up against him except my man Tony Ferguson however the man who dismantled my man Tony Ferguson just got absolutely starched by Khabib Imagine. Because people keep convincing themselves that the next opponent is Khabib's kryptonite. Like it was going to be Gaethje's wrestling that was finally going to outdo him because he's so spectacular. And I say people. I'm one of these people. Which means people that were smart enough to just back Khabib every fight for the last fucking five years. I've made a heap of money off the back of dorks like me. So. This is... The first and only occasion that I have been wrong about sports. Uh, I apologize, Mr. Nurmagomedov. Uh, congratulations on your retirement, which I imagine will last about eight months. And you'll be back in no time for me to bet against you again. Uh, however, this time I'll have the excuse of ring rust on my side. And you know ring rust is something that I will base a lot of bets on. Uh... Yeah, this this weekend can be proved that he's untouchable in the sport. He was utterly phenomenal. He couldn't be touched. It was it was just obscene to see just how good he really is. Obviously, he does have the the additional benefit of a recent family bereavement, which, as we know, increases athletic performance thirty percent. That just goes without saying. But come on, he was magnificent. One of the most dominant title performances I've seen. To add the about two more that he has on the list. Absolutely amazing. As for the weekend's football, bit wacky, uh, as per usual. Bit of a blunder, Fantasy Premier League week. Bit of a blunder one. Left Ben Chilwell on the bench, bad luck. Left Kyle Walker-Peters on the bench. Bad luck. I'm happy enough. Hyungman's son and Harry Kane saved me later on. As to be expected, they are the two bailout artists this year. They're going to be the two guys you pretty much have to have in your team if you want to if you want to play as well. I have taken a step back in my quest to be top 10k with all those Indian blokes on my Twitter. The, the, he's got a week ahead of me this week. But it just means I'm going to work twice as hard next week. 
Sadio Mane's in. No, that's Salah Mane. Huge. Uh, I'd like to give a brief shout out to friend of the show, Corey Large, who played the worst fantasy Premier League week of all time, and it included a triple captain. Uh, I want to say he topped out at 26 points with a triple captain to Mo Salah. So, congratulations, Mr. Large, for your first flanks as a solo shout-out. I wish it could have been in a more positive context. Okay, uh, getting into the accumulator. I had Spurs minus one. That was a blunder. But, you know, they had a few chances. They could have, they could have done more. I had Manchester United minus one. I am tied into that bet every week. I, I can't change that bet, even though I, even if I don't think it's going to happen. I always do think it's going to happen. But I can't get out of that bet. Uh, I had Celtic minus one. Once again, I can't get out of it. I can't escape that bet. I also took them, I think, at 3-1 to one in play when they went 2-1 down. And I was furious. I had nearly covered the bad way, the bad way accumulator with a, a genius in-play bet, uh, which was then stolen away from me. By Shane Duffy, the fucking moron. Uh, and Atletico minus one, which also seems to be a commonplace in the in the weekly accumulator. And I imagine it'll stay there for quite some time. Well, it did hit. Uh, and was the only bet on the accumulator to do so. So, well, one out of four ain't bad. Bad, bad week. It also, that only covered really late on. Uh, I want to say Suarez scored like 90 plus minutes into the game because I thought, oh, I'm going to get some drubbing if my accumulator features zero accurate bets. But one was accurate and two I am tied into on a week-to-week basis. So I went one of two on actual decisions I can make. Yeah, come to think of it, that's pretty shit. Also, understandably, uh, didn't win as much money in the UFC as I could do. Uh, had a fucking horrible week on NFL DFS. Horrible, horrible. I also... Shout out to friend of the show, The Horn Job, uh, for beating me in fantasy football this week. I will... I will take to my grave the the Metcalf callback touchdown and the fact that Tyler Lockett this week got 53 fantasy points. For my listeners that don't know that context, a good week for a fantasy receiver or a fantasy player in general is about 25 points. That would be considered a good week. But this week, Tyler Lockett got 53. Which I want to say is like an old, like a top 25 game all time. I was very angry. I was an angry wee man. But, fair play to him. God, if I don't get... I've also realised that's the only chance I get to play the horn job this season. So, I lose the season series to him. Uh, which is a, a large blunder on my part. Uh, so, congratulations to him. Uh, I hope he enjoys it. I hope he he takes stock of it. He looks at the scoreboard. He sits back at his new sofa. And he just... He congratulates himself. Well then. Uh, we've only got one friend of the show topic this week. But it is, it's a very important one. Uh, from 
a close personal friend of mine who who went through some troubles this week. Our one friend of the show topic is from my old pal Faker McGuire. And it simply says It's it's quite long, I'll read you it out. He says, Now as you know, I am historically bad at MMA predictions. I try every week to predict a full UFC card and I've yet to get one outcome right. I really, really, really hope that you can see in the goodness of your own heart a way to help me with my predictions in the future so that I can go from zero right to maybe one or two. Now, this is one of those things that you know your friends going through something, but you you don't want to burden you don't want to burden them with anything. You don't want to you don't want to force the issue for them to talk about it. I've known Faker McGuire was struggling with MMA predictions for the last five or six years, even though he's only been watching the sport for two. He just goes in, and he's he's got so much enthusiasm. He's like a small child in their first day of school, and he he goes on verdict. And he, he does all his research and he, he gets his bet ready and he, he gets his predictions ready and then he promptly shits the bed. The poor bastard. Poor bastard. He thought Gacy was going to win this week with an oblique kick. I, I told him it wasn't likely. He just said, nah, I've got a hunch. Didn't happen. Bad wee look. Uh, he said Robert Whitaker. Uh, he was going to lose in spectacular fashion uh, by a rear naked choke by John Anik during the start of round two. I said, that's not likely to happen. I don't think John Anik has a particular horse in the race. He said, no. <laughs> oh, I think you know. I didn't. So, Faker, in future, there's a lot of great ways to go about making MMA predictions. One is by listening to Flying this is a solo, a division of slightly satirical sports. That's a great way. I know a lot. Sometimes I get it wrong. If a fighter in the main event is managed by Ali Abdelaziz, I'll probably get it wrong. Especially when both of them are managed by Ali Abdelaziz. I'll probably get it wrong. I'd like to make an apology to friend of the show, Josh Kearns. I hold my hands up. I hold my hands up, Kearns. I may have been all aboard the Gaethje chain this week. I was wrong. I got a lot of other things right though. I got every other fight in the card. So you got to cut me some slack. I have a bit of bias against against that Russian foul. Uh, it's because he beat my all-time favourite lightweight, Michael Johnson. God, Michael Johnson, who was a heavy hitter at lightweight, supposedly. And then went to featherweight and wasn't a heavy hitter there either. This has been a very MMA dependent episode. I know a lot of my a lot of my core listeners are going to be very angry, uh, but things get better. That is that is something you you've got to learn. Uh, got to learn to crawl before you can sprint, and you've got to learn to predict one fight before you can predict six. So, hopefully, fight night coming up this weekend. You'll get there, buddy. I promise you, you'll get there. So, that's our one friend of the show topic covered for the week. 
and I'm running out, I'm running out of options to talk about. Thankfully, we are bailed out by the fact that it's a Champions League night. Oh, it's a Champions League night, all right. Uh, Manchester United don't play though, so I have very little horses in the race. I don't even know what game I'm gonna watch. Uh, potentially the Real game, if I can be arsed. I feel like I'll probably watch either Real or Atletico tonight. Or I might just play FIFA. That, that's also an option. Or I might play FIFA and watch the Real game on my phone. That might be it. That that could be the one. Chelsea are on tonight or is it tomorrow night? I don't know. If I'm being very honest, I haven't really looked at the fixtures that extensively. I know Atletico play Salzburg and Real play uh, Gladbach. Thankfully, I'm not in a Premier League bubble, unlike some of my listeners, uh, a la Kirk Trumpet, who is one of one of the people I know in the world that is most Premier League centric. He just can't. He just says every other league's a farmers league, and the Premier League's all that matters, and that's why Kirk Trumpet, uh, he'll never, he'll never get it. He's too in that Premier League bubble. He'll never, he'll never understand the nuances of football. Oh, for fuck's sake. I forgot about the pesky early Eastern European kickoffs. As I always do. Uh, it's well renowned that I do always forget about the pesky Eastern European early kickoffs. Barner 1 0 up against Lokomotiv Moscow. And Shakhtar and Inter are 0 0. Yes, Liverpool play Medi Jalen tonight. And if that game finishes less than 12 0, Liverpool are. In a very bad way. Ajax come off a 13-0 victory at the weekend. Away at Atalanta. Yes, I had Ajax minus one. And checked the game at full time. And thought, oh, it's a 3-1. Google have just pr- or Google have just got the score wrong. No, it was a 13-0. Like, honestly, I... Don't know if I've ever seen a more one-sided football game. Uh, I also don't know, like, the German teams are famously told to pump the brakes when they're beating a team like 5-0 at halftime. There was no similar sentiment with this Ajax team. They came out harder in the second half. It was absolutely murderous. Uh, So, yeah, Ajax are away at Atlanta. Tomorrow, Chelsea are in the pesky... Eastern European early kickoff at Krasnodar. Tomorrow is Juve Barca, so that's something to be excited about. However, I haven't really got the headspace for it yet because it is a full day away. United play RB Leipzig, and their future manager gets his first audition at Old Trafford. Julian Nagelsmann gets to come out and show exactly what tactics are. Uh, it'll be a pretty big revolution at the at the. At the Theatre of Dreams this week, because it'll be it'll be nice to see someone who has an actual understanding of football nuance and some sort of tactics come in to the dugout. That'll be really really nice to see. I'm sure we'll play a four two three one. I'm sure we'll be set up to defend staunchly and then break. After all the praise I give the team, the club. I even gave the manager a wee smidge of the praise. Well, I didn't, I, I didn't obviously say it out loud. But in my head, I thought, wow, he was better this week. That whole 
defending on mass thing was really good to see. We played the most boring game of football of all time this weekend. I sat and fell asleep twice. God, I cannot... As soon as I saw the team sheet, I was like, Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, we are in trouble now. And I was right. It was absolutely abysmal. See the next time we're going into a big game and the optimum decision is to play a pivot of Scott McTominay and Fred. I'm not going to be one bit happy. What does Donny van de Beek have to do? Like seriously, did he Zaha Solskjaer's daughter? Because that is the only explanation for why he's getting four minutes a game to prove himself in the Prem. He eats and shits Scott McTominay as a footballer. Young prospect Scott McTominay who's probably 26 by now. Scott McTominay does nothing well on a football pitch apart from yell at teammates. He's Andy Murray on a fucking football pitch. He just yells occasionally, plays extremely aggressively and sometimes it'll work out. For the most part he is vastly outclassed by people with actual technical awareness of the game. I hated the team selection. Dan James played. Dan James played in a massive Premier League fixture. We've got Arsenal again. We've got Arsenal this week. Massive opportunity to stake our claim that we are going to be a top four side. We managed to keep Chelsea at bay last week. Even though Harry Maguire assaulted someone in the box. Again, as he always does. As he always does. How many times in my life have I had to say... That Harry Maguire is only, in our quotes, dominant in the air because he fucking manhandled his opposition defender. Have you ever seen Harry Maguire just jump straight up for a header without using purchase on his fucking opposition defender's shoulders? No, you haven't. You haven't. His go-to move is to manhandle the man in front of him, muscle him up and then jump. He cannot defend straight up. Then again, I think partly why I gave uh, the club praise is because they did play Axel Tuanzebe in the big game against PSG and then they promptly benched him again for the weekend because they thought, ah, keeping two of the most expensive forwards of all time in check, nah, leave that. Let's go for the lineup that conceded six to Spurs. Yeah, let's go for that defensive partnership. Honestly, I don't know if he'll ever get it right. I don't know if he'll ever have a sit down with himself one day and go, maybe Maguire and maybe Lindelof isn't working. Maybe it hasn't quite worked out. Maybe nothing I've done at the club has worked out. Maybe me, as the most prolific Norwegian striker of all time, not being able to convince Young Norwegian striker Erling Haaland to sign with Manchester United. Maybe that should have been the maybe that should have been the breaking point. Maybe that should have been when I walked out the door. When I don't have the recruitment power to be able to get a young lad who plays the same position as me. 
in the same country as me. And I have to be one of his idols. Because I'm the only Norwegian striker. Apart from fucking John Carew. To ever really score prolifically at any level. So I have to be. I have to be someone he's at least looked up to. And thought I'd like to emulate him. And now I'm the manager of one of the world's biggest clubs. And clearly we have ambitions to become even bigger. We have ambitions to return to Champions League glory. So I will recruit this young man. To the club. But no. He failed to do that. And that should have been his breaking point. A lot has been made about. How he needs more time. He's he's going in the right direction. Every time he takes a step forward. He takes two back. It's not a progress thing with him. We are in the exact same spot as we were. When he joined. He took a step forward with the original run of fixtures. We took two steps back. We took a step forward at the end of last season with the run of fixtures. We took two steps back by not signing anyone this summer. He needs to know his limit. As a fan base, we're told you've got you've got to give him time. He's a club legend. He's he's got the club's interest at heart. If he had the club's best interest at heart, he would know his limitations. Duncan Ferguson came in as the interim manager of Everton. Didn't do that badly. Had a, had a pretty good run run of results. Like he beat Chelsea, I believe, and got points against us. And that was a great that was a great run of fixtures for a team that was in the bottom three at the time. But all the while he was the interim manager, his main emphasis was that, yes, we're doing well, but I'm not good enough for this job. Like, I'm getting results at the minute. Yes, I'm popular with the fans. But if we want the club to move forward, we need to get an accomplished manager. I'll be part of the backroom staff. I'll be a coach or an assistant, whatever he needs me to be, whatever manager you choose. But it needs to be a more experienced and more technically aware manager than I am. If Solskjaer had had the balls to do that. The club would be in a much better spot. But instead. For a manager that only has the club's best interests at heart. Seemed to have been himself pretty up there. On a £6 million a year contract. I think that was more priority to him. Than the lasting survival of Manchester United Football Club. As one of Europe's football and greats. Because he knows he's out of his depth. His main fucking, his main solution when tactically outclassed is just to smile and hope for a moment of individual brilliance from someone. He doesn't necessarily care who it is. However, when you consistently limit the amount of individual brilliance you can have on the pitch at once, like this weekend, if Rashford didn't do it or Bruno didn't do it, no one was doing it. No one was doing it. Because let's just... Dan James... Dan James is just fucking Welsh Matty Etherington. Who, now that I think about it, might have been Welsh. Nah, I feel like he got one of those Randy England caps back in the day. Like, Dan James is just any Premier League right midfielder. He's nothing. He, he does nothing to improve a team. I don't necessarily think 
he detracts from a team either. Like, he could play for Fulham and would put in a shift and get six goals, six assists a season. He's not an awful player. He's probably a 15, 15 goal, 10 assist championship winger. But he's not a Manchester United player. Let's not let's not kid ourselves that Mason Greenwood could be late for every training till Kingdom comes. And he would still deserve to start over 95% of that team. Because he has what none of them do. Actual talent. I don't care how hard players work. I don't care what a nice bloke Marcus Rashford is. They aren't naturally talented footballers. They're not the sort of talents that make you sit up every time you see them play. Every time Greenwood touches the ball you think he's going to do something. He moves with intent. He knows what he wants to do. Anytime Rashford touches the ball he stands on it and he does four step overs. Yes, every now and then he will have an outrageous moment. Like an absolutely spectacular moment. But he's not a killer. He's not someone that's going to show up week on week and do that. That's his problem. Honestly, obviously the defence is fucked. The defence is absolutely in tatters. I think there are easy solutions and that Luke Shaw never played another game for this club. Uh, we start Alex Tejas. The back four should be Dean Henderson, Juan Bissaka, Tuanzebe, whatever centre half you feel like. Whatever centre half you feel like. Honestly, I think personally we have seen everything we're going to see from our current centre halves. Why would you not try someone like an Ethan Laird? Who has proven at least to have what I was just talking about in talent. He could play, like, realistically, the season's probably a write-off. We're, we're pretty much done from a seasonal standpoint. Why would, so why would we not try an Ethan Laird or a Ted and Mangy? Because, let's face it, they can't do worse than Maguire or Lindelof or Bay have done. So why would you not try and see what you have with those players? By giving them opportunities at the, at the biggest and the grandest stages. That's one thing. He's so, so scared, Sulkshire, of the next big bad result tanking him. So he's playing as safe as possible. There was no risk in that team selection at the weekend. There was at no stage did you think, oh, United are going for this. We were going to not lose it. That was the only emphasis of that team selection. It was never a case of, oh, United United have made a really strong team this week to go out there and try and get Chelsea, who are as defensively bad as we are. Maybe even worse. And yes, they are set up in a very similar way. That they have a lot of pace up front and they will tear teams on the counter to pieces. But they have many defensive frailties. And instead of focusing on those, you try and nullify their strong point. That to me, it's a sign of a pussy. He has no ambition at this club. 
He knows he's going nowhere. He's going to get fourth again this season and he's fucking crossing his fingers on his knees praying that that's enough to keep him in the job. There's no league ambition. There's no European ambition. He just wants to stay in his job. To any United fans that think he is all about the club, this is a self-preservation 101. He's doing enough to stay in the job. He's not taking any risks that would put him above and beyond and make him good at the job. He's just doing all he can to keep himself in it in the first place. On a much lighter note, let's get into a tier list on boy bands. Uh, as you know, the SSS tier list is one of the finest tier lists on the planet. We've all we've all sat back every week and thought, ah, oh, that thing I've been thinking about. I wonder where it would fit in the SSS tier list. And if you ever if you ever get that urge, you just you just call by, and you say, now, what about this? And I'll say, do you want it on or off the record? And if you go, I want it on the record, then your topic will be discussed in Tearless. Boy bands, they're a huge part of our culture, of our musical tastes, uh, and of the way we dress in 2012. So, to start off the Tearless, let's go one direction. This band forced me to own a pair of red chinos at one point. Like, I'm going to be very... At one stage, you would have seen me milli-rocking about, because I invented it, of course. Uh, just cutting up in a pair of red chinos and, like, a navy Hollister shirt. And that was never the fit. That was absolutely never the fit. But these lads... They made it seem like it. Every woman on God's green earth in about 2011 would have sacrificed their firstborn to be stuck in a lift with Harry Styles for 35 minutes. It was absolutely obscene. I had the hair. I had the hair too. And when I say I had the hair, I had a very poor imitation of the hair as a child who was about three stone overweight in a pair of red chinos, which I, I'm going to assume had an elastic waistband. It was never the fit. I don't know why I thought it was the fit. Like I used to step out being like, "This is this is a good look." I fuck me. I want every listener of this podcast to think back and go. I owned multiple pairs of chinos at one point, and that was a result of the One Direction phenomenon. So you can't doubt their cultural impact, and let's face it, they have some hits. So I'm going to put One Direction. If I look back and I see a photo of myself, I'm going to I'm going to put them in Verntor or in the deep end. So as much as I rate their cultural impact and how much they just we girls were just bam 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 every single time they did anything. Uh unfortunately for the for the fact that I tried to follow suit and I ended up, oh god, I don't even want to think, I don't even want to think about the fits. The fits, oh, they were bad. They nearly certainly all featured Converse too. But not like, not like a cool pair. It would have been like, to match, to match the Hollister shirt. 
with the the chinos as a breaking point. Fuck, I hated that era. That's that's. I really didn't think about that till I started talking about it for this podcast. That's something I really blocked out in my mind was second and third year when I tried to dress like I was in One Direction. A bad, bad time. Uh, so, I think we're gonna put them in the exact in the exact equilibrium point for how badly they made me look, and we're just gonna go with One Direction. In any other era, could have been Journeyman for Blackburn. So they're in the exact middle. Uh, Next up, got Westlife. Now, let's face it. They had hits. And they had hits on hits on hits. There was about a six-year period where everything Westlife put out was just magic. They could not miss. And then they started to take the property investment. And then the misses started. Oh, they started missing, all right. Shane Phelan's missing about 25 mil. Uh, so musically they're up there they'd be up there in terms of hits for one of the best boy bands of all time but unfortunately from poor investments they're fiscally very far down they might be below Ventura in the deep end in terms of in terms of being smart with their money they weren't particularly they did have a bit of drama Brad McFadden married Kerry Katona that was that was a reasonably good narrative Alan, to be fair, that that's up there in terms of all-time celebrity narratives. Had a couple of great music videos. The Upturn Girl music video is a is a social masterpiece. I'm gonna put them in Journeyman from Blackburn too. However, if Shane Phelan could buy property, they'd be really, really high up there. They might they might be top top tier. Next up, we've got In Sync. Now, In Sync, let's face it. They had hits. And they did they did bring forth JT, who did have two of the greatest albums of all time. But at the same time, name me a single other member. There you go. Uh, so for that reason, NSYNC will be going in Harry Hill. Uh, the only reason why they are going in Harry Hill is because of Justin Timberlake. Without him... I don't think I'd be even writing the list with them on it. Next up, you got Boyzone. Now, friend of the show, Lewis Dell, is sitting forward right now. He's just going, because <gasps> he wishes every, not only every band in history, he wishes every song in history was by Boyzone. Uh, I'm, I'm inclined to err on his side in this one. I, I do have wholesale positive opinions about Boyzone uh, always drama let's face it there was never a dull moment with Boyzone uh, they had hits oh they had hits Ronan Keating does not respect the sanctity of marriage which will mean he will never be in the top tier of this tier list but he, he knows how to make hits and he's a great judge on The Voice Australia so I'm inclined the wood boys in, in absolutely excellent. One tier below the Holy Grail. I I'm. I don't think I'm wrong with that one. I think, hits, on hits, on hits. Ruin killing solo work, hits. The man the man didn't miss much, and he didn't miss his wife when he was away on long journeys either. The scumbag, 
but he'll still get into absolutely excellent. He and his bandmates. Although, with every passing day and whatever Keith Duffy is doing this week, if that's, I believe that's his name, I haven't looked it up. Uh, but the more stuff he does on a week-to-week basis, the more I think they're moving down in my estimations. But yeah, boys own an absolutely excellent RIP Stephen Gately. And finally, La Creme de la Creme. The best boy band of all time. I think we all know. All you needed. I know you were listening to this segment with anticipation, busting out your eardrums. All you needed to do was just have a little patience. Because let's face it, the best boy band of all time is Take That. It's not close. You have Fat Gary Barlow turning into the sort of man that can release a Latin anthem with Michael Bublé in 2020. Like, come on. The guy's the goat. Robbie Williams. Will he, won't they? It was unbelievable. And let's face it, if your favourite musical performance of all time is not The Flood on X Factor, then I have no idea what what it is. What could it possibly be? Because that's the greatest, not only the greatest segment of TV of all time, but probably the greatest moment in the history of human history. The water in the background, the rowing motif. God, it was unbelievable. Those guys could, they could do everything. Solo work, hits, mostly Robbie. But let's face it, Gary had a few bangers too. Drama out the wazoo. How many affairs could Mark Owen have? It's unbelievable. Every single time take that run of the news, Mark Owen went, sorry lads, let me just get you on my back today. Let me just put you on my back and have another affair. Unbelievable. Jason Orange, jacked. The guy's wham, like. Everybody knows, if you want any boy bands have some sort of prize fighting evening, I'm taking Jason Orange at 1 to 10 to win the whole thing. I I honestly don't think, you couldn't convince me. If he was 1 to 50, I'd still I'd still have the house on it. You'd be going, nah, you're not getting much value, I'd go with Jason Orange. I'd trust him. There's, there's no, there's no other option. Just the hits. Shine was in every advert in two thousand and eight, and we all still loved it. We still loved it. It was such a hit. Patience. When patience came out, it changed my life. I was just sitting there one day thinking, I wonder what I'm gonna get on my blue iPod Nano this week, and I'm just cruising through iTunes. I looked to the top. I see a headline. Take that or back. Listen to their new single, Patience Now. I think, don't mind if I do. I don't think I've spent a better 99p of my dad's money in my life. I don't think there has ever been a better spend of 99p off a £15 iTunes card in my life. That song changed everything. That song changed absolutely everything. And if you ever heard the members of the House of Lords group chat sing it in the Anchor Bar, oh, you'd feel chilled. You'd feel absolute chilled. 
or alternatively, the Oldsbook Barbershop Quartet sing it in the anchor bar, but instead of Owen Black, you had Little Old Me. You would have had a, you would have had even more chills. They had their first run, hits on hits on hits, then they come back, and it's even better, and then Robbie comes back. For those reasons, I'm clearly very impassioned about this, and they might be the strongest, the strongest person or thing currently in this segment. They might be absolute creme de la creme of the tier list so far. Take that, my friends. I know you've been waiting eagerly to hear it. I think you know what's coming. But you, as a collective, and as an individual member of it, of a boy band, every single one of you are all very good. I have just spoke for 12 minutes on boy bands, on a sports podcast. It happens. Listen. I am a man. I have my faults. One of them is being the biggest Gary Barlow fan on the face of the earth. Sometimes it happens. I have to say, thank you for tuning in to that wonderful episode of Flying Sisters of Solo. I'm your captain, Nal Murray speaking. Good night. <laughs>